I think adults are confused by this. Like they see people that have like nice cars or nice houses and they think they have money. And I would say 99 times out of a hundred, they have no money. Maybe they have a large income, but they spend that large income getting the showy things. Yeah. They got the biggest house on the block. They got the fanciest two, three fancy cars in the driveway. And it's this perception of that lifestyle of, oh, they're rich. Welcome to Confessions of a Financial Advisor, the antidote to conventional financial wisdom. My name is Al, and I've been a financial advisor for over 20 years. This podcast will explore the emotional and psychological factors that affect our behaviors. All of the other financial podcasts out there will talk about the numbers and the math. We will confront the stories that we all fuse with that ultimately set the course for our lives. I am not looking for new clients and have no intention on running for any kind of office. I'm going to tell you like it is and call out all the commonplace BS. Now, let's get into confessions of a financial advisor. All right, Virginia, we are live here. And we are talking about financial basics because we've been talking about teaching the kids about money and about investing and how important it is and Mm. also talking about how there's so many adults out there (laughs) that need these lessons. They seem so obvious if you're in the financial community, but Mm. people don't do them. Like Just because they're obvious doesn't mean people do them. And I think it's, like you said, it's obvious if you're in the financial community or if you're in any way related to, you know, the financial industries, but there's so many people that really are just oblivious to it. Yeah. It's the same idea. Like if you're in the fitness community, right? Right. So if you're not in the fitness community, you still know that if you eat a lot, you're going to gain weight. And then if you eat a little, you're going to not gain weight. And if you work out, you're going to get stronger. Like, you know, basics. Right. And that's all we're talking about here. Right. The basics of what you should do. Yeah. So it's not like rocket science. It's not like you need to be a certified personal trainer to be in shape, right? I'm I'm not a certified personal trainer. You don't need to be a financial advisor to be in good financial order. Right. So I kind of wanted to cover just some of the things that we teach or we're about to teach the children. I haven't really taught them anything yet. (laughs) (laughs) I've been telling them little bits and pieces. But the one thing I wanted to start with, just from an investing standpoint, and we're going to jump around a little bit here. Mm-hmm. My daughter is going to be inheriting some money from my my mom. Mm-hmm. You know, when she passed away, so she's getting seventy five hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And so I've been kind of like just planting the seed with my daughter that hey, you know, we're going to invest this money. This money isn't for buying toys. And, you know, this is money <laughs> grandma left you, and this is what I think we should do. I think we should pick three different stocks. Oh, what's a stock? Okay. Well, a stocks a company. It's a you know, so like you use. Your iPhone, right? So, you know, there's a company called Apple that makes your iPhone and you can invest in that company. Right. What about Netflix? Oh, yeah, you watch Netflix every night? Yeah, Netflix is a company too and they make money and Mm -hmm. you can buy a piece of their company by buying their stock. Yeah. And if they do well going forward, then you're going to make money with them and your money will grow. Right. Just look around your life and see what you love and use and what you're interested in and what your friends like and what's popular like uh disney everybody likes disney disney's a stock you can invest in that's one my kids chose 
And just to be clear and just <laughs> yeah. to give a caveat here, I'm not recommending any of these stocks. Right. Just making generalized claims here of how I would introduce investing to a child's. Right. Sharing what we kind of talk about with our kids and not necessarily that anyone should just go do this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. There's no there's no stock advice here. Right. So that was kind of and I wanted to do it from that standpoint because my daughter has only a small window of things that she likes. Mm-hmm. And to get her interest is kind of difficult. And she's one of those personality types that if you try to force it upon her, she turns off. Mm-hmm. Or she just claims she doesn't want to even talk about it. So you have to sort of do it in a, not manipulative, but like creative way. Right. Creative, creative. <laughs> creative. Let's stick with that. That's yeah, creative. Well, that's right. <laughs> and so like introduce it, like, what do you like? What are the things around that you like? Mm-hmm. And so it's a cool way to start. I think I heard it from a guy named Peter Lynch, who used to okay. was the fund manager for a fund through Fidelity called the Fidelity Magellan Funds. And back uh, in the eighties, it was like a huge fund. Yes, and it did great. I've heard about this. Okay. And so he would talk a lot about what do you use, what are you familiar with. Like that's yes. a good way to start thinking about investing. We were talking about Starbucks earlier. Right. If Starbucks was empty and nobody was going to Starbucks, maybe you wouldn't want to invest in them. But since you go there often and you see that it's packed every time you go, mm-hmm. or Walmart or wherever, right. you know, I mean, you could do this in yeah. any context for any company. And that's an easy way to see where you might want to put your money because obviously that's something you use and love and like and shop and spend your money at. And the chances that other people do that too is high. So why wouldn't you want to invest in something like that? And that's kind of the same thing. Um, So with my kids, we've been picking funds, Mm -hmm. you know, for Christmas every year, they get a fund or they get, you know, a certain amount of money toward a fund and they can pick what they want. So with funds, it's like communication or entertainment or, you know, there's healthcare, right. Healthcare. So recently my son picked a healthcare one. Good. It's pretty smart, dude. And he's like, yeah, because a lot of people are sick right now. And I was like, oh, the wheels are turning. You nailed it, buddy. Like that's awesome. Yes. And my daughter's a little younger. So she went with entertainment, something or another, because she saw Disney plus in there. Yes. It lists like the top 10 stocks that are listed in that fund. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) she had to go for that. (laughs) There you go. It's these little things. And I mean, and your kids are five and seven. I mean, that's super young. We're trying really hard to start. That's amazing. Better off than I am. I'm like just starting now and my kids are 10 and 12. I mean, we're a little late to the game. So let me just say we're starting small. Mm -hmm. When I gift them a fund, it's like 50 bucks. I mean, it's super. Super small, super easy to afford, right? So that's where I feel like yeah. any family can do this. You don't have to know about money per se. You don't have to know about investing. You don't necessarily have to understand compound interest or any the of stock these. market. Yeah, forget all that. Yeah. You can take 50 bucks at a time, you know, on a birthday, at Christmas, you know, whenever you feel, and let the kids pick something. Yeah. And there are funds out there that what we've been looking at are like fee-free. Yeah, no load. Right. Yep. And so that's what I'm letting my kids pick and just letting them have fun with it. That's great. Like I don't expect it to earn money. I'm not going to die if it doesn't. It's like a game at this point. Like, sure, pick whatever you want. We'll see what it's happens. It's got to be fun. Yes. Yeah, if you don't make it fun, they're going to turn off to it. Yeah. Yeah. So like every... 
two months or whatever, I'll just look at it. And then I'll tell them, hey, you made $7. <laughs> you know, nice. Hey, you made this. Remember, it was 50 And now what is it? And, you know, like you said, they're young. So we kind of... Yeah play it up a little bit. And I feel like this is literally like a public service announcement because like we were talking about, (laughs) I go to like Harris Teeter, which is the grocery store around here. And sometimes like you'll see some of the people that work there, you know, I mean, literally like seventies, eighties maybe. Mm, And I'm not one to judge, but like, I don't think they're there because they want to be there. It's not because like they just need some social interaction. Mm. I mean, they're standing on their feet, they're bagging groceries, they're cashier, they're working hard. Right. And I just know from being in the industry I'm in that there's so many people out there like this Mm -hmm. where they didn't save for retirement. They don't have anything. Yeah. They're living on social security, but that's not enough. Yeah. And so it's the saddest thing to see. And it's all because they didn't make one little simple decision early on right. that could have set off the trajectory of their financial life forever. Yes. And it's these things that you don't do. And it's so easy not to do things. I said this on another podcast. It's just so easy not to do it because there's nothing you need to do. Yeah. And it, nothing will ever happen. Yep. It's easier to do nothing. So much easier. Mm-hmm. And so we were also talking about that we think it's such a great idea for companies to have that where you're automatically enrolled in your retirement plan as soon as you start working for a company. Right. And you actually have to do something to get out of it. Right. That you're at least automatically enrolled, just the minimum to get the max. Yeah, I think they do like 3%. And I think some companies are starting to do that. I think so too. Great idea. Yes. But outside of having that as a mandatory thing, which I don't think will ever happen for every company, they can't make companies do this. I think it's a company's choice if they want to. Right. It has to be from the top of the company for them to decide, hey, this is how we're going to run our business. Yeah. But we talk about, you know, when I was 22, didn't invest. I'm in the industry. I didn't do it. Me too. I waited until 27. Meanwhile, five years of working in the industry that's telling you to invest Mm -hmm. early because of compound interest, because all those early years are going to make so much money down the road from compounding. Right. And so 27 isn't old. It wasn't like I started that late, but those five years make a big difference. Yes. I've seen the tables on this at nausea. I mean, from <laughs> when I was 22 till now of just how much that money will grow over time. Right. Because nobody understands the compounding. Everybody thinks it's like this linear thing, right? But it's not. That $2 goes to $4 and then $4 goes to eight. And then, you know, and then you just kind of incrementally go up. No, it doesn't work that way. Right. Like it incrementally goes up in the beginning and then it starts taking jumps. Yes. Because it's bigger money. It's a bigger snowball rolling down the hill. It's picking up more snow. Right. Right. A little tiny snowball is picking up a little snow. A giant boulder of a snowball is picking up tons of snow. Yeah. So I always think about it, not to get all into like the math weeds here, (laughs) but if you're making 10% on Mm $10,000, 10% on $10,000 is $1,000. Right. So if you have 10 grand in your 401k and you made 10% for the year, now you have $11,000. Right. But think about if you had a million dollars in that account and you made that same 10%, you just made $100,000 Same one year, same 10% return. Right. The bigger money accumulated more money. Yeah, more money, more money. (laughs) I guess it's frustrating for a lot of young people in the beginning because you don't see it happening right before Mm -hmm. your eyes. It's sort of like a slow process and you're kind of dripping into it. Yeah, and I think it's really hard if the concept hasn't been introduced to them 
from a young age or from their first job, say maybe when you're 16 and you get your first job, you're working at you know, Chick-fil-A or something. Yeah. And no one's there to help you initially set that up. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a kid and you're like, oh, sweet, yep. I got my paycheck. And you're immediately like ready to blow it. So if no one showed you from the very beginning, no, you don't get to take home your whole paycheck. You put such and such in your 401k, you put such and such in savings, then you get the rest. And Mm -hmm. so that kid's going to go through almost like some sticker shock right there. But after they get past that and those first couple of paychecks and that frustration that they don't get all of their paycheck just to go blow it, it's going to become normal to them. And they're going to be very quickly, yeah, very quickly, like three paychecks. And they'll be yeah, a couple of months and you're like, oh, never know any different. Yeah. Don't feel it anymore. Just live your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that mindset shift at that young age and that almost like a forced lifestyle adjustment immediately right there, right off the bat at your first job. I mean, imagine what that does for the trajectory of this kid's life. Mm-hmm. For me and you, maybe that didn't happen until we were in our 20s. Yeah. And then we're starting to figure out, oh, wait, so how much am I supposed to be putting away? And then we were already used to taking home all of the money. And so we had this slap in the face moment. Yeah. We had to make that adjustment for ourselves. And I feel like that's a lot harder to do. It is. And especially I can't imagine for somebody to be in their 30s or even older and having that realization and having lost all of that potential time where they could have been earning. Yeah. And the older you get, it just becomes a rationalization. Then it becomes, well, it's too late. You know, I'm 35. What's the point now? Or I've got kids or I have too many bills or I can't afford it or whatever. Because you've already built your lifestyle based on how much money you make. And we say not to do that. And that's like the standard financial advice out there is don't live beyond your means. Yes. But practically everybody lives right up (laughs) under their means. Yep. So to have that realization and suddenly knock off 10% off the top of your paycheck when you've never done that before, Mm -hmm. that's really, really tough. It is. Agreed. That's where I think you and I hope to be there for our kids at that first job and, and even earlier and start explaining some of these concepts so that their life is easier and they're invested and they're managing their money well. And it's not even like a thing for them. It's just normal to them. It's a given. It's like a given. It's like brushing your teeth. Yeah. Like, this is what you do. Like you, there's no option here. Right. It just can't be an option. You have to do it consistently. You have to do it early. And again, the amounts, to me, the amounts aren't as important. Just do it. Just do mm-hmm. 3% of your salary. Mm-hmm. If you want to start, start somewhere. But just right. never stop. And then if you can, increase as you go. Right. Just start something. There's something I read that was like, it's a hell of a lot harder to go from zero to 6%. So contributing nothing and then suddenly contribute 6% because that's how you get the match or whatever. Yeah. Versus if you were already contributing 2 or 3% and pushing it up slowly, like 1% each year or something, and reaching whatever goal number. Yeah. Like 15 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So the advice was like, whatever you do, don't just be at zero, be at 1% at least, be at 2%, three, like something, right. Do something for yourself. Yeah. It holds true for so many things like in life, like, 
you have to drip on things. I always call it the drip. Yeah. I used to call it that from sales. So it's so funny. We had this file system back when I was in sales and in, in insurance company back in the day when I was a kid, was 23. <laughs> when they didn't advise you to invest. <laughs> and they, exactly. And they didn't have computers. So like literally losing, using this paper deck, it's called a tickler system. And what we would call it is the drip. Like you'd basically call through like all of these prospects. And if a prospect said, well, let me think about it, you know, call me back in a week, you'd put that client's name down, you'd put it in the tickler system for a week from then, and then you're going to call that client back. And you're going to continue to do that. Because sometimes it would take seven, eight, 10 calls before the client would agree to an appointment. So we call it dripping, like you're dripping okay. on them. Yeah. And, so- and it's the only way you get sales. Like if you call them once and they said, maybe, and then you never call them back, then they're never going to be a client. Right. Yeah. So now that's all in the system. Click a few buttons and then that's what pops right. up in a week to remind you to call them. Yeah. Okay. Right. You're just clicking on your Outlook and just putting it a week forward. Right. We did it with this paper system, which was ridiculous. Okay. But I think of it the same way with investing. It's like you're dripping, like you're just putting little amounts here and there. Nothing crazy. Like you're not dumping large amounts of money. You don't need to. Mm-mm. You just need to drip and then give it time. Right. And of course, invest properly. And investing properly is the easiest thing to do. Pick an index. Pick these. Have these lifestyle funds where they give you a portfolio based on the date that you want to retire. Right. So you know, if you're now 40 years old and you want to retire when you're 60. It's mm-hmm. 2020 right now. They have something called the 2040 funds. Yeah. So bam, 2040 is when you're going to turn 60. Just put it in there. They're, they're allocating it. They're doing everything they're supposed to do with your money. Right. You don't have to make any decisions from an investment standpoint. Right. And I think where you're going with that is that that's such a better decision than it just sitting in the money market portion of your 401k or your IRA or whatever. Like you can't leave it in the cash fund. People don't yes. realize that. And I've even had friends that, you know, we got to talk about money and, you know, they say, oh yeah, I have this much money, but it's in my cash something or another in their 401k. And I'm like, oh no, okay. You have to choose a fund. You can't just leave it in that because it's not earning anything. Yeah. The stable value funds. Yeah. I think they call it the stable value. Um, It's like, oh. Yeah. People don't know that. They just think, oh yeah, I'm, I'm contributing, but it's just going into that cash fund that's not earning anything. It's not invested. Yeah. And I've seen it with clients too, doing the same thing. And the sad part is they were diligent savers. Yes. They would do it. They would consistently put money in. They just didn't know that next step. That next step from the difference between getting 1% and like 8% per year. Mm-hmm. I mean, over time, it's huge. Yes. It's like, you know, if you accumulated $250,000 over the course of your life just by contributing, mm-hmm. when you're getting 1%, maybe that's turning into half a million within a 30-year period, whatever it is. If you were getting 8%, you'd have, you know, a couple of million dollars at least, if not more. Right. So it's, I don't think people get the gravity of it. The gravity, how big. Again, I read something and I don't remember where it was, but it was literally that the human brain cannot fully understand compounding interest. Like it's just impossible. Like the brain just does yeah. not understand. It might as well be a completely foreign language. Yeah. I think Warren, Warren Buffett called it the eighth wonder of the world. Compound interest. <laughs> I could go for that. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's like magic. It's, it really is. I mean, over time it's magical. I mean, especially if you like, right. cause they, they had these 
compound interest calculators that they have online. I use one through MoneyChimp. Mm. No endorsement from MoneyChimp. It's just very easy. Yeah, It's a compound interest calculator. And you can put whatever figures you want in there. It's funny to play yeah. with. Like if you put in like, you know, I mean, you can put the years out, 50 years, 60 years of investing. You right. see it's like astronomical. Like I think that would be really fun to do if someone does have young kids or even, you know, like you, you have a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. They got... 50 years till they're going to think about retiring. So yeah. pop that money in there. You know, maybe they have 2,500 or 7,500, put that money in there. Right. And just see, and just yeah, 10% return for 50 years. Guess yeah. what that's going to turn into? Yeah. And just think about that. How a couple of minor decisions for your kid at such a young age could just set them up for life. For life. For life. It's amazing. But the caveat is which we haven't really talked about much is that you can't withdraw the money. Right. <laughs> you got to leave it in there. Like it's got to be like untouchable money. Right. So like, especially retirement accounts, mm-hmm. you can't touch that. I, I, I've seen, and I've worked in a retirement center for a large bank. So I basically saw 5,000 different 401k plans from around the country, all different size companies. And what, the employees of those companies would do. Mm-hmm. And they would call in all the time, all the time. taking loans, yes. taking withdrawals from their retirement accounts. Yeah, I need a car. I need this. I need that. I got this emergency. I got that emergency. It's not it's like, a savings account, people. <laughs> no. And it's not even an emergency fund. No. I mean, you got to look at it like it's literally it's, terminal illness or death. Like that's the only two ways you or retirement. Right. Those are the three ways you have access to that money. Right. It's just not money you ever touch. And so I'm going to just go off on a limb here and just say, like, at least for me, mm-hmm. the thought every month or every week that, okay, I'm bringing home this much. I need to put this much in retirement. And it's this constant thought process. Yeah. Something that I have to do. And there's a little bit of pressure associated with that because like you and I mentioned, we didn't start investing until we were a little bit older. Yes. But I can't picture how wonderful and easy and thought-free my financial situation would be if I was five and my mom set me up with Mm -hmm. some funds and started showing me this. I mean, I would probably not have to invest anything right now. True. How free your adult life could be if someone was there from such a young age to teach you about this stuff or to help you set up your 401k at your first job. How much less pressure that future adult will experience because of what they're taught when they're young. That's that's awesome. Well, you're also somebody that has the discipline to know not to touch mm-hmm. it. I think you got to do both. Like you have to have both ingrains like to the core. That's true. Like this is money we're putting away from. There's a lot of people that are wealthy, right. give money to their kids. And then the kids like don't know work. They don't know what money means. Right. They have no value for anything. They spend. There's just no concept of what money is or the value of money. Or what you should be doing with your money or why. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They've always had it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like the silver spoon kind of syndrome where sure. like you've always had money. So you don't know how to make it. You don't know the value of it. That's true. You know the value of it. Yeah. Not that I'm wealthy. But it's the thing I'm teetering on with the kids is like they have things very easy. Right. You know, and it's like they get what they want for Christmas and they like, you know, they have a good life. And I've thought about that too. So you kind of like, man, if when there's no struggle, it's like, I don't want them to always think like life is just like this. Like when you're out on your own, it's going to be tough for a while mm-hmm. and they don't have that concept yet. 
Yeah. So I think you're right, though. I think if you start investing for your children early and you explain to them that this is money that you don't touch and that this is for your future. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think you just keep reminding them as the years go on. And just, yeah. I mean, as they get older, they're going to understand better. Well, and I think there are more than that. Of course, the investing piece is huge, but okay. So you and I are both in the finance industry. You're an advisor. I'm a financial coach. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about money and, you know, on the phone with coaching clients and stuff all the time. I'm sure you are as well. Mm-hmm. And so the kids know like, oh yeah, mom's talking about money again. And she's kind of like, uh, like <laughs> it's normal yeah. in our house to just talk about money. And with a lot of people, I'm going through basics of budgeting and how to pay off debt and how to budget so that you can afford to pay off debt so that we can get to a point where you're investing more. And there's so many pieces to it. And so I'm trying to be so mindful of all those pieces. Mm-hmm. And so we explain to the kids, like, we only go out to eat once a week. That's our treat. That's our thing. And of course, we haven't been to a restaurant in a while. So now we're ordering in. But yeah, they're aware of going out to eat is more money. Like it costs, you know, 60 bucks for us all to get hamburgers versus... 150 at the grocery store and that feeds us all week. The whole week. And so we talk yeah. about like not just the investing like big concept piece, but I'm trying to teach them, like you were saying, the value of money. Yeah. I'm trying to get it to where they identify with how much something is in comparison. That's good. To what they have or what they could buy. Right. It's not just mommy's magical plastic card that money comes out of the sky. Yes. Right. I mean, that's. My daughter, I, I th- she was little when she said it, but I went to, she asked for something in the store. I'm like, no, like, what is it? Your birthday? Is it Christmas? Like, <laughs> and she's like, well, you got that card. Just use that card. Right. I'm like, what do you think? I guess you don't realize, yeah. like you don't put it together until like they say something like that. Like to them, it's just, right. there's this plastic card and that allows dad to get stuff. Yeah. Because they don't see the behind the scenes of you planning your budget or paying the bill or keeping an eye on the balance so that you know that you can pay it off. Right. And that's the piece where we did go through our own like massive financial journey, kind of hit rock bottom, paid it all off. And they were really young. But from that point, I was like, nah, we're always going to talk about this because this was a huge situation for us. And I never want that. Yeah. It was impactful. Yes. Big time. And that's why I do coaching now because Mm -hmm. I want to help other people through that. And it was really tough and I felt very alone through that process. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want them going through that. I want them to just be like sailing through, Hey, we always invest. We always save. We always have an emergency fund. We don't mess around with debt. You know, I just want those like financial basics to just be instilled in them. Yeah. The debt thing is a big one, right? I mean, so you definitely want to instill that, like, you don't want to be owing people money like that. There's no reason to really borrow money. I mean, yeah. Later in life, if you want to get a mortgage for your primary residence, that kind of thing. Right. But even like car loans, car loans are usually not a great idea. Mm -hmm. Definitely no credit cards. Like there's no need for a young person to have a credit card. Right. I don't care if you want to build your credit. So get one of those debit cards that has the like a prepaid or like a prepaid. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's lots of different options now for that stuff, which I love. I don't feel like that stuff was around when I was like 20. Yeah. Those are usually like the two worst, like the credit cards and car debt, you know, like mm-hmm. 
And the people, oh, the cars are the worst, man. I mean, they do leases on their cars, which is terrible. And then they got to buy out the lease because they went over the mileage. And then, Mm -hmm. or they buy like a car that's too expensive. And then every three to five years, they're buying a new car. And it's like, they're constantly under this other payments. Yes. I always like think of being the bank. Like you want to be the bank. Yes. You don't want to pay the bank. You want to be the bank, right? You want people paying you. That's the whole idea of investing is that, you're giving over money so that people will pay you right. for your investments. When it's the opposite, it's just a drain. It's draining you of money. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then there's just like so much obligation when you do have that car payment or whatever. You're under pressure mm-hmm. to make that $500 car payment like every single month. Yeah. What would things look like if you could just save up $500 every single month and pay cash for a $5,000 beater until you can move up? Yeah. Well, think about it. It's a thousand dollar swing, right? So yeah. essentially you're giving somebody 500. Imagine you turn that off and now you gave yourself 500. Yep. You know, it's a whole different game. Right. Well, and the easy way to look at that and what I've shown the kids is, you know, just go on this example. Okay. You buy a $30,000 car. It's $500 a month. You have to pay that $500 a month for this many years. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm, you know, saying this very plainly, just so that a seven-year-old and a five-year-old can understand. So by the time your paperwork comes to an end, you've actually paid, oh, I don't know, $36,000. Right. You know, throw a number out there. Yeah. And they're like, well, but the car was 30. And I'm like, exactly. (laughs) Right. And it's like, yes, like, (laughs) I feel like I won in that moment because they saw like, why would you do that? Why would you pay $36,000 for a $30,000 car? And I'm like, yes. So, and to boot, it loses value, right? So it depreciates. <laughs> yeah. Like, so basically, now you got something that's worth 10. Right. That you paid 36 for, right? right? And that's not even including maintenance, gas, all the repair, like all the things that you got to do for a car, insurance. Right. So, little things like that. If I can come up with an example, that's cool. I'll talk to the kids about that because they'll, they'll notice. Like, so my husband has like a, it's a 2000 Camry. 2000. A 2000. It's still Holy kicking. Cow. Nice. How many miles? I'd have to ask him. It's got to be like over 150,000, close to oh, 200. Sure. Yeah. We bought that car in 2011 okay. for $4,000. Wow. And that thing is still kicking. I'm like, best investment ever. Fantastic. Right? And the kids are like, well, why is daddy's car so old? Because, you know, <laughs> you look around the neighborhood, you're seeing some Mercedes and stuff like that. And I'm like, nope, mm-mm. we are so happy with this car. <laughs> yeah. And so they'll ask questions about that. And so we'll have that opportunity when a question comes up, dive into that example and start to tell them. And That's amazing. I, I want, Like going off of what you just said about the other cars in the neighborhood. Uh-huh. I don't say this to the kids yet, but I think I'm going to because I always, I think adults are confused by this. Like they see people that have like nice cars or nice houses and they think they have money. And I would say 99 times out of 100, they have no money. Maybe they have a large income, but they spend that large income getting the showy things. Yeah, they got the biggest house on the block. They got the fanciest, two, three fancy cars in the driveway. And it's this perception of that lifestyle of, oh, they're rich. Maybe not. Most of the time, not. Maybe they're spending every single penny that they've earned. That's so true. For one wrench in the system and they're up a creek because they probably aren't investing. They probably don't have the emergency fund. 
that perception is so deceiving. And everybody believes it. Like, so me and you yes. kind of see through, like, you know, pull back the veil and you see like the wizard behind, like, oh, you don't really have anything, right? Right. You're creating this whole image of like extravagance, but there's no, you know, what they call it in Texas, they call it big had no cattle, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, come on. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm throwing out Texas terms now. But no, but it's so true. I, I even tell my friends and like Shelby about it, like, because they'll make comments like, oh, wow, like, look at that house. Oh, my God. They must wonder what they do for a living. I'm like, I would bet money on it that they have no money, that they don't have any or right. they have very limited right. funds. Because rich people don't usually buy extravagant things. Yes. And that's where like, you know, the millionaire next door and some of those like old mm-hmm. concepts come in. But I do agree with her. Yeah. I wonder what they do for a living because I'm like curious about that large income to be able to afford all those fancy toys. Yes. But the other piece of me is like irking inside because I'm like, man, what they could <sighs> do with that income. They'd be retired in 10 years easily. Yeah. yeah. Instead of having all these fancy cars in the driveway. So that's a a huge misconception that people that have nice things are wealthy or that they have a lot of money. They can have large incomes, but a lot of time, large incomes doesn't equate to, so I mean, it's the funny thing. Like you you could have somebody making half a million dollars a year and being broke and somebody being having $50,000 a year and accumulating like a fortune over a lifetime. So it's all about like what you're spending. Yeah, because when you look at someone or you see their lifestyle or what they drive or where they live, you, you're not seeing the balances in their accounts. Nope. You're not seeing if they have, you know, 50 grand in savings plus a ton in investments and they've made really smart financial decisions. Mm-hmm. Or if every piece of anything that they have has a massive piece of debt attached to it. Like you cannot see that. Yeah, nothing as, is what it seems, right? Right. It's so deceptive. And I hope my kids are getting that. We've had that same conversation so many times just because of where we live. And people do tend to drive really nice cars and have extravagant toys. Yes. And I don't know where I got it, but it was maybe it was a podcast that I was listening to, but I was cracking up because the person on the podcast was laughing that they're probably the poorest people that live in their neighborhood. Uh-huh. And they were talking about how they, you know, their neighbors throw out like the nicest stuff out on the curb and they'll go scoop it up, <laughs> you know, clean it up and resell it. And and that they were just having a blast with that perception and that lifestyle. Yeah. Same thing with the kids, you know, they'll see like a really nice car drive by and I'm like, that's really pretty. I wonder if they have a payment that they owe each month and I'll just make a little comment. Yeah. I'm trying to get a little bit of that in their head just to where we have paid cash for things and maybe we don't Mm -hmm. have the most perfect, nicest, most beautiful things, but I'm really proud of the progress we've made. Yeah. That we own it and we don't owe a payment. Yeah. Well, one cool thing I got out of the financial independence community, like from what I listened to and what read, Mm -hmm. is that they almost build like this, they despise like extravagance. Mm. They spend the money on the things that really bring them joy in their life. Right. And everything else is slashed. Yes. Because like like you said, a car, you get a 2001 Toyota Camry, gets you from point A to point B. Right. I mean, he could have a Lexus, right? And that'll get him from point A to point B. And what? He'll sit on leather seats and... It'll feel, I don't like what's, what is it doing? You know, what's the utility? Yeah. 
no matter what car you get, the newness and the excitement and the thrill that you get from having that nice new car fades. It wears off in a couple months. Quick. Yeah. And then what? Yep. You still got the payment. Still paying interest. But you know what? I mean, people feed off of this illusion. So people that do these kinds of things, like they get, they get the nicest cars, they max out their finances, they redline, they just mm-hmm. are constantly redlining their finances. Yeah. They're basically feeding off of the reactions they're getting from people that they don't know. Right. So I have a friend that bought like a fancy car and he always had fancy cars <laughs> and he, he was driving me in it one day and I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm like, why, why do you have this thing? And he's like, Al, you don't understand the way people look at me in this. I'm like, oh. Ooh, who's looking at you? Like they're strangers. Like they don't even know these people. So somebody from a car next to you is like, you know, it gives you like some kind of like open mouth, like gasp. Like that's... That feeds your ego. That's the dopamine rush feeding the ego that triggers having a thousand dollar a month car payments. Right. So there's something going on mentally that he is craving that attention. Yeah. And, but I also think it's, so me and you, we can kind of see through the illusion. Right. 99% of the population does not. Mm-hmm. They see some guy driving a Maserati, like, man, that guy's successful. And, and so they're doing it for a reason. Right. Like they're getting something from it. Right. You know, so when we talk about cutting through the illusion and scaling things back and having the 2001 Toyota Camry, <laughs> we're like in the very small minority. Right. The rest of the world looks at that or would look at your husband and in his yeah. car and be like, like I'm not oh, going to drive a shitty car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I want nice things. I, you know, right, I, deserve, right. I deserve it. Hey, you it's know. got AC. It runs. <laughs> <laughs> I the agree. Kids can spill Cheerios in the backseat. I don't even care. <laughs> I think this is what's cool that gets to like the heart of all this is that as soon as you can get over like other people's perceptions of you mm-hmm. and like get past that, then you're good. I think until you get to that place, it's very difficult. If you're in that world, if you're always trying to impress people and you're feeding mm-hmm. this dopamine addiction of trying to get feedback and like, I want everybody to think that I'm famous. I want everybody to think that I'm rich. I'm trying to create this image of how successful I am. Yes. I want to look successful. Yeah. But as soon as you get out of that paradigm and just be like, nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody's thinking about you. Just live the life you want to live. You and Diane have said this several times. Like, it's not all about you. Not everybody's looking at you. Not everybody cares what you're doing. Yeah. And somehow, some way, there's this percept. All of us have this. And I have narcissism. Yeah. And I had that in my 20s. You know, it was like (laughs) I wanted the nicest shoes and the nicest, you know, of course, I worked in corporate. So there was definitely like an image that you're portraying. But yeah, yeah, that got me. And we're all susceptible to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about this, but I do the same things. I mean, I go on sometimes a little spending, not a spending spree, but like I'll buy things that I don't need. And I'm like, right. what am I doing? Why am I yeah. doing this? Why am I wasting money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I got 50 t-shirts. I'm going to buy three more t-shirts. Like, why would I buy more t-shirts <laughs> when I have more t-shirts than I ever even wear? Right. You know, just like silly things. We're all susceptible We all to are. It. I mean, for me, it's it's shoes. I love shoes and I don't even know why. Shoes. Yeah. Now I work from home. Why do I even need shoes? I don't go anywhere. Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that that's the thing. As long as you're aware of it and you don't make huge mistakes, mm-hmm. shoes are one thing, houses and cars are a whole different level to this, right? 
Right. Don't get into like the super expensive mistakes. Right. So we're talking about, okay, live within your means, invest. Spend less than you earn. Right. So why don't people, like everybody knows this. It's like Mm -hmm. you started out the show was we all know the basics. You don't have to be a financial advisor to know what you should be doing with your money. But why don't people do it? Why is it so hard? That's where I'm curious because I see it every day and I'm coaching clients through it all the time. It's a mindset thing. It's an emotional thing. It's a going back to the personal training or like just a weight loss thing, right? Everybody knows what to do to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Why don't they do it? Because when they eat something, it makes them feel good or it suppresses something. Right. If they're angry or they're sad or they're fearful or they're, you know, depressed, Mm -hmm. food maybe. That comfort food. Yeah. So it's sort of like the same thing with spending. Mm -hmm. Spending like suppresses all the shit that's underneath, all the hard emotions, the stuff you don't want to sit with. So you buy something and that gives you a little trick. Right. It's literally analogous to dealing with like a diet or like health. People eat bad food because it makes them feel good in that moment. It's not good Mm -hmm. for the long term, but it makes them feel good in that moment. People spend money that they don't have or that they shouldn't be spending because it makes them feel good in that moment. Right. They're excited about that new package that's coming in the mail or that new thrill of... Totally. Oh my God. Amazon like has monopoly on this. Think about it. You could press a little button and then the next day you get a present at your door. You know, it's like... Oh my gosh. Oh, Santa Claus just dropped it out of the sky, right? It's completely addicting. Yeah. Yeah, I've caught the kids every day now. They're like going to check the front door. And I'm like, what are you looking for? And they're like, I want to see if there's a box here. And I'm like, we're ordering. Uh-huh. So that like triggers me. I'm like, you've been ordering too me much too. crap. Same here. <laughs> and there again, we're all home right now. So there's a little bit of maybe boredom. Yeah. You're in your house. So then you're also thinking, oh, I was meaning to do this thing. I mean, I think everybody's got something. I always say that. Like everybody's got... Either you smoke, you drink, you eat too much, you do too much social media, you buy too much. Like everybody's got something. Right. Nobody's perfect out there. And the more right. perfect they're trying to tell you they are, then they're hiding something. Right. So it's just a matter of trying to limit again, just preventing the big mistakes, right? Like just not not destroying yourself. Mm-hmm. I think of it also like with a drug addict, like, all right, maybe you smoke a little pot, maybe you, you know, you drink some alcohol. All right, don't freaking start doing meth and heroin. <laughs> right. you know, st- like know that that is like off right. limits. Stay away from the hard stuff. <laughs> to compare it with like money, it's like it's some good life advice on there right now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, right? Yeah, like Joe Obvious, right? <laughs> so, like when you compare it with money, like I compare it with the person that makes a hundred grand a year. They go to the bank and they're like, "What's the biggest house I could buy with my salary?" Right. Oh yeah, I want to take the maximum amount out. That's like doing heroin or meth. You're going to destroy yourself. Got to pause and question, okay, what do I actually need? Do I actually need to buy the biggest house that my money can buy? I don't want to clean all that. I don't want to pay for all that AC. Yeah. So let me like back it no, down No, but the bank notch. says you could afford it, Virginia. <laughs> don't you understand? They know how much you could afford. <laughs> yeah, we... Our first house we bought in 05. Yep. And so that was right before the 08, 09 situation. Yeah. And no down payment, 
Super low interest rate. I mean, we had nothing. We were 21 and 23. We'd both just started our first jobs, just got out of college, just got married. Yeah. I just remember those approval papers and we were just thinking like, there's no way, but it was so easy. So I think that's a big thing too. It's so easy to get into debt these days. It's so easy to click a few buttons and you got a loan or you got a credit card or yeah. You know, even the house buying process, now it's a little more stringent than what it used to be, but it's really still easy to get approved for way too much house yep. and to actually complete the transaction. So yeah. easy to get into debt these days. And so I think the biggest thing is just to keep an eye on that and prevent yourself from taking those steps. Yeah. And I think it goes back to that lifestyle creep, right? So mm-hmm. everybody talks about this and everybody's aware of it. Like you can make, tw- when I made $20,000 a year at my first job out of college, I lived. Right. And then I still ate food. I lived, I survived, I had a car. Yeah. And looking back, maybe you don't know how you did it, but you did. You did. And imagine like you still lived off of like, I mean, it doesn't even have to be that much. For whatever reason, from twenty thousand to fifty, then you spend all the fifty. Right. Like, wait, there's thirty thousand dollar difference between the two. Now you're spending thirty thousand more. Right. Is your lifestyle that much better? And it doesn't end. Like, so you can make one hundred and fifty, two hundred. It just keeps going up, and you keep spending more. Mm-hmm. You see people that are very aware of it, especially in the financial independence community, where they're saving fifty percent plus of their salaries. Super impressive. And they're re- retiring within ten years. That's very hard to do. I think that's very difficult. And you don't need to do that. I mean, you could basically start baby steps with this. And they're open about it. I mean, they share all kinds of frugal hacks. Hacks, yeah. Yeah, house Mm -hmm. hacking and car hacking and all of that. Right, just riding bikes. They don't even have cars, yeah. Yeah, they're very open about the choices that they're making to allow themselves to save that much money. And if you're not willing to do that, you're not going to be in that same space. But... Just if you could avoid a certain amount of lifestyle creep, I think some is natural. Some is just going to happen. It is natural. But if you Mm -hmm. can keep your eye on it, I think you're going to be a lot better off than any of your neighbors. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of shame behind finance too. Mm. A lot of people are very ashamed, especially if they get into debt. Men are always like judged on their productivity in this, you know, in this world. Like we're always judged on how much we make. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's their whole identity is like, can you produce? Provider role, producer, provider. Yeah. So if you're you're under a lot of debt or a lot of financial strain, it's very shameful. Mm -hmm. I want to be the like person to tell people that, all right, you're feeling this shame. I get it. It doesn't make you a bad person. You've committed no crime. Mm -mm. You've made a few bad decisions and you're in this place. You're not a criminal. You didn't do anything against the law. I think we start building this thing up and catastrophizing things. Like it's so bad and I'm a bad person and I'm just not a real man or I'm not this. or It's not about any of that. You made a couple bad decisions and you could turn it around. And It could be just as simple as like we were saying, nobody was there with you when you started your first job to teach you how to set it up. You probably fell prey to the house approval Mm -hmm. situation where they just approve you for these massive credit lines. You go for it. And then you also just probably fall prey to marketing. Yes. I mean, think about these companies, billion-dollar businesses out there. They have so much research and so much power behind the marketing that is in our face 
every day, you don't have that kind of willpower or money backing you and your decisions. Right. But it's coming at you constantly. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to fall prey to some of that. Yeah. So it's not that you're a bad person or that you just totally screwed up your life or that shame is an unfortunate piece that will prevent a lot of people from reaching out for help. Agreed. I think as soon as you're like, you're in that loop, mm-hmm. it's like one of those things. It's like when you're trying to lose weight, but you're ashamed of being heavy. Right. And then like the shame feeds into you wanting to eat more because you want to soothe that shame. Right. And it just becomes this vicious cycle. Same thing with finance. Like if you're ashamed about your finances, that you did something wrong, that you're a bad person. Mm-hmm. Now you feel bad. Now you're going to spend something to make you feel, but it's just, right. it's hard to get out of that loop. Right. It's kind of like the idea of you don't want to just like fix the symptoms. You want to fix the underlying problem. Yeah. So the underlying problem is you're feeling this shame. It's the feelings that you have underneath all this. Right. The actions come later, but like you got to get to the root of those feelings and realize that spending money or eating more or like any of these things Mm-hmm. it's basically treating the symptom. It's not treating the problem. Right. So it's hard to get to the source. Just like so many other behaviors, I think some of that stems from childhood. You know, how did our parents act with money? What were we told about money? What did we see when there was a financial conversation going on? Were you witnessing a full-out argument? Were you witnessing them having shame? What were you witnessing? And you probably don't even remember. Right. But your child self took that in. And now it's playing out in your adult life. Yep. So it's important to... Peel back the layers. Yeah. Right. And like I said, I mean, you could have witnessed something when you were five and you don't remember. Yeah. It's in your subconscious. You know, why do I feel guilt? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, because I'm spending money on myself and I feel that that's selfish. And so you have to go through that thought process and uncover what you're feeling and why. Yeah. I love it. It always goes back to that. Like, it's never really about what you're doing. Like, there's always something Mm -hmm. underneath that's motivating what you're doing. It's not evil to go get a Starbucks every day. No. Oh, yeah. The latte effects. Yeah, exactly. That was in that automatic millionaire. Yeah. Just don't have that coffee every day. Right. Who the heck told you that? What? I can't spend four bucks on a coffee? Yeah. (laughs) That's why one trip. Come on. Right. And I think the premise is more of like it's a behavior. So if it's a negative habit in your life. That's where you want to work on that habit. Yeah. But yeah, the the coffee thing that's kind of been debunked. It's more about like what you've said is make the larger good decisions and avoid the massive pitfalls. (laughs) Avoid the 401k loan. Avoid the big car note. Yeah. Like have a little cocktail once in a while. (laughs) Do not do methamphetamine. That's the way I look at it. It's, it's I really true. do. I mean, it's <laughs> great life advice. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous, but <laughs> quote of the day. <laughs> yeah, quote of the day. There we go. <laughs> so to kind of wrap it up and the sum it up, if you had the ideal, like if you had your child, let's say twenty-two, they got out of college, mm-hmm. how would you set? The, I mean, I know how I would set them up, like from an ideal standpoint, to keep things super simple. Basically, you get a checking account, you get a savings account. You want to get an online savings account that yep. pays you a little more interest? Fine. All right. I don't even care about that. Two simple things. Checking savings, right? Mm-hmm. No credit cards. Never. Don't get a credit card. There's no point. You're now immediately borrowing money. Right. You don't need to borrow money. Find a cheap car. Get a Toyota Corolla, whatever the Toyota, <laughs> you know, Camry. Get an older Camry right. for 2500 bucks. 
save that 2,500 bucks before you get the car. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are things that obviously a 22 year old probably doesn't want to do. They right. want to have the nice car and like all that. But if you do these things, you're setting yourself up for life. Yeah. I've seen it with thousands of clients, really. Mm-hmm. And I've seen them later in life, the people that didn't do this, they're miserable. Yes. They regret all of those little micro decisions that they didn't make. Mm-hmm. And that's what they really are. They're, this is like little tiny decisions. Yeah. You know, getting online, signing up for your 401k account. So immediately start your retirement account. Immediately start something that automatically goes into your savings from your checking to your savings. Mm-hmm. Paycheck goes in, 50 bucks or whatever amount of money you want goes to savings and the savings you don't touch. Right. If you want to keep it like to the simplest thing, like just that alone, if you started there. Yeah. Contribute to retirement, like right off the bat yeah, and save something out of your paycheck, a small percentage yeah. and just make it mandatory for yourself. Mandatory mm-hmm. and never stop. Right. And never withdraw that money. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you could put it on an index card. You could put it on like five bullet points or four bullet points or whatever you want to do, but yeah. like, it's not rocket science. Well, and I've seen it for little kids is you get like three jars and it's like spend, save and give. Mm. And the give can be whatever, you know, some people are really religious. And so that goes to tithe or right or charity or whatever. Yeah. So if you're teaching your kids, this is how much you can spend. This is how much you save. And this is how much you give when they're really little. So what happens between that and 25 and they're in debt and they've had no further instruction? Like, I think that's where we parents need to really focus on setting up these basics that you just went through. Yeah. And it seems like parents work really hard with the piggy bank and all of that, but then that's it. It's like, you just quit. And Teaching your kids about money or and setting up yourself with money is not just like a one and done thing. It's right. something that you need to revisit, you know, whether it be every month, every week, whatever. Talk to your kids often about it. I mean, you didn't pay your electricity bill one time in your whole life. You pay it every single month. Yeah. You got to revisit and pay attention and adjust. I think the biggest lever that we have as parents is giving them the confidence to do these things, but also realizing that they're going to compare themselves to their peers, right? Right. So when all their peers are spending all their money, if they could have some sort of self-confidence where they could be like, that's what they do. Right. I don't do that. This is what I do. Yeah. And I'm not going to judge myself based on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That's the tough part because they all want to fit in. They all want to have the nice things that their friends have. Well, and there again, it starts at home. I think it's all about starts at home. modeling that behavior. Yes. And where else are they going to learn that? They have to have seen it somewhere. Agreed. I definitely want to like emphasize that we both struggle with this ourselves. It's not like, it's never like a finished product. It's, Mm -mm. you know, you can set up all the automation you want, but you order sometimes more Amazon packages than you should. And I I mean, you just do different things and I know where they come from. It's kind of filling some sort of void. It's filling some sort of like emotional especially with this whole like pandemic where we've been Mm -hmm. kind of on lockdown, like you said, you're home a lot. So, you know, there's more tendency to be bored and just to try to like fill the time with something. Yeah. Maybe you're like, Oh, I've been meaning to organize the pantry, (laughs) something like that. And so you order all these like fancy containers for everything to go in. It's like, you know, you wouldn't spend that money if you were not just stuck here. All these things are natural. It's just, again, don't make the huge mistakes set up the small automations that take no time and just let them go on. 
And don't mess with them. <laughs> don't mess with, yeah, no tinkering, right? Yes. No tinkering. Well, follow us at faconfessions.com and like and subscribe and share and please leave us a review. Yeah. Five-star reviews definitely help us. It helps people find us because then they look at the reviews and they go, oh, this is a cool podcast. Like, okay. And so then they're more likely to listen to the show. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so it'll help us grow. And yeah, we'll see you next week. Yeah, what do you want to talk about next week? What do you think about... This is probably like the eighth time I've listened to this book. It's called Letting Go. Mm. Yeah, his name is David Hawkins. He's definitely from this mindset of that most things are psychosomatic. Mm. So if your mind believes that you're susceptible to an allergy, there's more of a chance you're going to get that allergy. Yeah, what you think creates your reality. Yeah, on a physiological level. Okay. It's like all these kinds of ideas of how your brain interprets things and like the effect on your physiology and all that kind of thing. That so. sounds amazing. So anyway, that's his, it's called Letting Go. Okay, so that, that'll be next week then. Next week, yeah, we'll call it Letting well, Go. I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah, it's been fun, Virginia. We'll see you next week. See you next week.